All right. Good evening. It's good to see you. How was this uh, afternoon for y'all? Was it fun? Yeah. All right. Are y'all sure? <laughs> That's fine. Are we tired? <laughs> I, uh, I played uh, golf for the first time in my life. So um, I'm a little tired. My back hurts a little bit because I was, I was digging in the dirt more than I was hitting golf balls. Um, but no, nah, I'm ready. I'm, 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 I'm ready for tonight. It's a joy to be here uh, in y'all's presence. Um, so flip open with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And um, it's uh, the, the passage is in your booklet. I'll actually flip open as well because um, I have the NLT. I like the NLT for stories, but we'll, we'll all read from the same version. All right, so um, this morning we talked about being united around a common message united around a common message. And so tonight I want to talk about united under a common authority. United under a common authority. So I'm going to read from the book of Judges. So basically to get to orient you where we're at in the Bible, um, God has chosen a people for himself. They ended up in Egypt and they were oppressed uh, under slavery and God has saved them. And they basically God, essentially they were under the dominion of Pharaoh and the enemy, Satan, was using the world, which was Egypt, um, basically to crush God's people. God said, they're now mine. And he basically said, you're my treasured possession. So they travel through the wilderness and they get to the promised land. And the book of Judges is basically a big question. What will they do now that they're in the promised land under God's reign? What will they do? And in our passage, we kind of see what they will do now that they have a new king. And um, the main point I want to drive home for tonight is Jesus is our common king, so unite under his authority. Jesus is our common king, so unite under his authority. So we, we, we unite around the message that Jesus is king, and if we unite around that message, we actually have to submit our lives to Jesus as king. Does that make sense? So we're going to read this passage. I'll pray for us, and we'll dive in. Jesus is our common king, so unite under his authority. All right, uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. They were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. 
For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So that's kind of like a summary of the whole book. And now I'm going to jump to the end of the book, the very last verse, and it kind of tells us the big problem. Uh, this is the last verse in, in the, the pamphlet. Ch- uh, chapter 21, verse 25. In those, d- in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am very grateful for the opportunity to be able to minister, to be able to serve by teaching your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me. Lord, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me and soak me with power. Lord, I pray that you would give me joy in your word, delight in your word. I pray that you would focus me in and zero me in on the task that is at hand to proclaim your glorious excellencies and to commend your kingship. God, I pray that you would humble me, Lord, that I would have a beautiful self-forgetfulness. Lord, I pray that you would uh, rinse me of all guilt and shame so that my conscience can serve the living God. God, I pray that you would use me as a vessel of clay for honorable uses in this moment. And Lord, I pray for those who are here, gathered here to to hear from you. Lord, whatever they may be going through, whatever we may be going through, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our need. Lord, I pray that those of us who are um, afflicted, that you would comfort. Lord, I pray that those of us who uh, are, are fighting with, with sin and, and, and sinful habits, Lord, I pray that you would build us up in holiness. Lord, I pray that you would heal wounds. Lord, I pray that you would give revelation, illumination. And Lord, I pray that you would have your way and throw your weight around in this place. Lord, you are glory and weighty. And I pray that in this moment, you would manifest yourself, reveal yourself to us so that we might see you and praise you and be like you. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right. So I want to start off with a confession. I hate telling people what to do, and I hate asking people to do things. Is anybody there with me? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm like the only one. Here's here's the reason why I don't like telling people what to do. I'm insecure about my decision making. You know, and, and so if, if you're in a position of leadership and you tell someone what to do, in that, in that, that thought in the back of your head, like, was that the right thing to just tell that person to do, right? You're second guessing, you're thinking about it, you know, you might be like laying in the bed at, at night and you think about a decision you made or told someone, like, I hope that goes well, <laughs> right? <laughs> and also, do y'all experience this fear when you, you know, maybe especially when, you know, you have... Um, People who you know don't have like like kids. They don't have like a social um, uh, radar, so to speak. Like you tell them something to do, and then they don't do it, and then what are you gonna do, right? 
like 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 you like you can't like you can't make someone that's one reason i'm like well if i tell them to do something then what if they don't do it <laughs> and then also i feel guilty that i'm asking other people to do stuff that maybe i could do myself i was like well sir why don't you just do it you know so i i, I am allergic to authority a little bit which is funny because I, because you know as a religious leader you know we're, we're, we're people are looking to us to lead but there's a moment that changed everything for me when I was in campus ministry as an undergraduate student, and um, I was president of my campus ministry organization, and we went on a retreat kind of like this, and uh, the presidents of the organizations got together, and they went through a leadership track to basically set the vision in the course of the semester for the, for the ministry. And I remember we were actually, all the presidents were sitting around the table with, the, I was a part of InterVarsity as a campus ministry and the president of InterVarsity was at the table, or like the president of some like region of it. I can't remember what it's. I, I knew he was some some type of president. And I remember he asked us if we had any questions, and I said, you know what? I'm horrible at delegating, and I don't like passing things on to other people or asking people to do stuff, telling people what to do. Help me out. And he told me this, and I think about it all the time. He said, authority is like money, never waste it. Authority is like money, never waste it. He's like, God has given you authority to do good to an organization, to a group of people. That organization, that group of people need you to use every last drop of the authority that is given to you. He said, you have to delegate. Uh, you, you, you have to give things uh, to people to do. And uh, isn't this true in so many ways? Have you ever been a part of an organization where there was a, a leader who had a lot of authority and they used it in good ways? Didn't it feel like a safe place when you went to work in the morning or when you woke up? Maybe it was a household or maybe it was a group or a club. You're just like, you know, we're going places. You know, this, this feels good. This feels like, you know, there's not a calamity around the corner. And if there was, we feel confident that our leader will use his or her authority to, 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 to handle the conflict or the disaster. Peace and sanity fill the place. You know, people feel at ease. Has anyone been there? Been a part of an organization like that? Oh, no one? Okay. <laughs> well, maybe you all have been a part of an organization, company, household where there was bad or toxic leadership. Has anyone been there? Okay. All right. A lot of people have, who are not sure if they've been in either one. But um, there, there's, a, there's, when someone doesn't use their authority or they use authority for bad purposes, there's a lack of direction, right? We're not really hopeful that the organization is going anywhere. Anxiety fills the room. We're not sure about the future. You can taste the despair in the air, right? Um, Christianity Today just did a whole podcast on it called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, right? What happens when leadership uses its authority in improper ways or doesn't use its authority? Um, here's the thing. When the central authority of, a of an organization ceases to be good, everything falls apart. The group goes against its deepest principles, it becomes divided, and the group eventually falls apart and literally devours itself. This is true of any organization, but it's especially true of the church. And here's the thing. Here's the problem with the church. We have an amazing leader. Jesus is our leader. He has all of the authority, he tells us. He has all authority and power, but we don't want to unite under his lordship. You know what? Authority and submission, I think in our culture, are curse words. We don't like, I actually literally was hanging out with my neighbor on the porch, and I said, and I actually mentioned submitting to Jesus. He said, oh, that's a bad word. Like literally, like when, when we hear submitting to something else or obeying, the, even the word obedience, we get anxiety. 
we say, I don't want to do, I think it's just partly our culture, maybe just our, 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 our kind of country's culture is allergic to authority, allergic to anything that is heavy from up top. Um, but I think we are often missing the life-giving authority of the king. And we see this in the book of Judges. The main problem is that they were un- not united under the authority of Yahweh, you know, and a.k.a. God. So they became kings and queens unto themselves, and everyone started doing what was right in their own eyes. And they eventually started going literally down the path of self-destruction. Everything spiraled downwards until basically the people of God was almost destroyed. And the whole the book is a case for why Israel needed a human king. They said they, 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 there was no king among them, so they did what was right in their own eyes. They needed a king to rule over them on behalf of God. And it's kind of like, you know, the, the book is setting you up for Jesus, right? A human king who would rule over uh, God's people on, on his behalf. So why were kings so important back then? You know, we're thinking a king, like, well, you know, they, they just needed somebody to, to uh, you know, nowadays we think of kings, we think of like a figurehead. You know, it's not, they not really don't do anything. But kings were super important. Number one, kings were powerful military leaders. So they established peace. Number two, they were wise judges. So they established justice among the people. Number three, they were administrators, so they established harmony among the people. Uh, and lastly, they were one of the only people um, all, in all of Israel who had a copy of God's law. The priests had a copy. Essentially, the priests had a copy of the Bible. The elders did, and the king did. Did y'all know that? that the Bible, they, they, they just Bibles laying around like they are now. Um, so the, the, it's because they were the leaders, um, and, and they were supposed to lead people in God's ways. And the king was supposed to have a humble trust in God. So here's the thing. When you think about the kings of Israel, there's some passages that basically say the king is not supposed to be rich. He's not supposed to have a bunch of horses and gold. Uh, He's not supposed to have a large standing army. Basically, the king was supposed to be kind of weak. And the king wasn't supposed to intermarry with foreign nations. Essentially, uh, marriages back then for kings were like uh, political alliances. Basically, the king wasn't supposed to have a bunch of allies. God was their only ally. They didn't need a large standing army because God was their army. They didn't need a bunch of money because God owns a, 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 a cattle on a thousand hills. Um, and if he did all these things, the people would thrive. A king who was submitted to Yahweh and trusted in Yahweh. And y'all, we have this kind of king. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our common king, so unite under his authority. So we're, we're, we're going to start moving more quickly. We're going to look kind of at the vision of God's reign for the people, and then we're going to look at what actually happened. So basically, um, have you all heard of the term a covenant of a covenant? A covenant is basically like a formal relationship. So God delivered them from Pharaoh and uh, slavery, and he formed a covenant with them. Basically said, hey, um, you are my people and I'm your God. And so, like I said, he led them through the wilderness and they went into the promised land and had victory. Um, But here's the thing. The Lord told them a part of the covenant is that you must drive out all the inhabitants of the promised land or because if they stay there, you'll intermarry with with them and you'll start to, you know, worship different gods and you'll start to be led astray from pure devotion to the Lord. If they submitted to God's kingship in the land, they would be have bounty. They would have all types of crops. They would have peace. God would be their God. They would be a shining light to all the nations. The the whole globe would come to them to see how wonderful the Lord would be. Um, They would be the most blessed and prosperous and joyful people in the world. 
and the whole world would glorify God because of how good God had been to them. But that did not happen. Um, basically, they failed to serve only God. When they went into the promised land, they didn't drive out all the other nations. They kind of compromised a little bit. And so these people started to, to kind of worship multiple gods. They, led, they were led astray from their pure devotion to the Lord. And so when basically worshiping other gods, you might be like, why is it so bad to worship other gods? Because when you worshiped other gods, you did the things that those gods wanted you to do. And the Lord calls those things abominations. Basically, the things that the other gods wanted them to do were offensive to the Lord. He, he didn't like the way the other gods rolled. So th- basically what happens is the second generation after um, they enter the promised land, they forgot, they totally forgot about the covenant they made with the Lord. And they started doing all types of crazy things. And things got so bad that the Bible tells us that the Lord set his hand against them. That's a fancy way of saying the Lord started to fight against them. Um, and so though he redeemed them from Egypt, he um, basically kind of put them back in the situation where they were in. He sold them into the hands of oppressors. He said, oh, so you guys want to worship other gods? I'll let you go worship those other gods. I'll submit you to the powers of those nations that serve those same gods, and let's see how things go. God was like, I'll give you what you want. You are in the hands of the, of the people who serve those same gods you want to serve. Go, go join and, and worship those, those gods with those people. But the Israelites became oppressed. They were like, we, Lord, we're so sorry. And they were oppressed, and they, they suffered greatly. Um, and here's the thing. The Lord had mercy on them. So the Lord sent what was called a judge. A judge was basically like a, a, a sort of like a, a king type figure who delivered the people for a time. So basically the Bible tells us that the judge basically freed them from their oppressors, but the people's hearts were not changed. The people were not changed. So what happened after the judge left, do you think? After the judge died, what, what do you think happened? The people got even worse because they weren't changed. And so things got worse and worse and worse. And then eventually they were divided amongst themselves. So basically what happens is there was, there was something really horrible that happened in Israel. Things got so bad that essentially um, uh, someone was, um, was, was, was raped and died as, as a result of it. Um, and, and the group of men who did it were in the tribe of Benjamin. And the rest of the tribe said, you need to bring us those men so that they can face justice because nothing like this has ever happened in the history of the people of God. And Benjamin said, no, nah, we're not giving these guys up. So the people of God have a civil war. The Bible says that the Lord and the rest of the tribes fought against Benjamin, and Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin was almost totally wiped out. Remember I told you earlier that an that, uh, organization that doesn't submit to good leadership will self-destruct? That's almost what happened here in the book of Judges. Here's the thing. They were no different than the nations around them. They were no different. They had nothing actually to offer to the world. And the book of Judges tells us that the problem was they had no king to help them be devoted to Yahweh. Are y'all still with me? Um, So family, the Bible gives us this book as a picture of what happens when the church is not united under the authority of Jesus. When the church is not united under the authority of Jesus. First thing, that the church will stray away from God. Um, it's interesting because it, it, it isn't being our own kings and queens like the name of the game in our culture nowadays. Like, I'll do what I want to do and I'll be who I want to be and nobody else can tell me what to do or what to be. 
I will do it at all costs and self-expression and individualism at any cost, and I don't care what anybody else has to say about it. Um, and here's the thing, but when we reject the lordship of God, we were designed to always have a king. So if we reject God as our king, we're going to accept something else as our king. And that other thing will always be a tyrant because any other king other than the Lord is a tyrant. We pick false gods that have no business being our gods. And so and, and in the United States, you know, oftentimes, like, uh, it, in, especially in the south in our area, the region, there, there's not a ton of other gods, so to speak, like there were back then. But don't we kind of accept false versions of the Christian God? Maybe when we reject the Lord's lordship, we actually uh, accept a God, con- a Christian God, Christian God consistent with unbridled comfort. A God consistent with self-expression at all costs. A God consistent with accumulation of power and greed. A God who turns a blind eye towards the abused and the oppressed. A God who doesn't let us rest and says you must work uh, to to the bone every day to sustain the grind of of our culture. A God consistent with uncritical partisanship. A God who does nothing to tear down worldly divisions. These are the type of gods that we accept into our lives because we want a God that won't challenge us. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to find a version of a God that will let us do what we want to do. But here's the thing. We will, just like the Israelites, we will be tormented by these gods that we choose for ourselves. The Lord says, hey, you want to worship and serve these gods? I will let you. And eventually the church becomes divided. We become confused. We become filled with sin and despair and purposelessness and hopelessness and bitterness. And then when we reject Jesus' own authority, things only get worse. They never get better. They might feel better for a season, but they only spiral downward until the church is divided and the church fights amongst itself. Haven't we been seeing this? That the church can't get on one page. We're splitting over things that we maybe 20 years ago, we never thought the church was split over. We're literally seeing churches split over what we thought would be tiny things because of all the, the deeper things behind it. Um, and the church will be no different from the world. The church will actually say, you know what? In order to actually help the world, we should be more like the world. Because, you know, the world, we're not popular right now with the world. So we got to be like it so we can be relevant. But here's the thing. When the church is like the world, we become irrelevant. We become irrelevant by trying to be relevant. The thing that we offer the world that's different is Yahweh and his kingship. We're supposed to be a visible display of his authority and his lordship. And when we lose that, we lose any type of uniqueness and the world can just throw us away. But here's the thing. We might be thinking, you know what? Israel would be okay if they just had a king, right? The the book of Judges says, you know, the reason why they were bad is because they had no king um, and they were kings and queens in their own eyes. But if you keep on reading the Bible, when they get a king, what happens? Things still go badly. King David becomes king and he messes up. King Solomon messes up. And then there's another kind of civil war. There's a split. And then Each line of kings basically spirals a nation downward until they're in exile. So the issue wasn't the form of government. The issue was that the people had unchanged hearts. They did not want to submit to the Lord, even when they had the best human king. And so by the end of the Old Testament, you're wondering, man, who is going to come who will actually change these jokers, right? (laughs) Who is going to come who will actually renovate us from the inside out? And when Jesus comes, that's why Jesus is such a big deal. 
because here's the one who can actually make us want to submit to the Lord, who can actually make us see that the Lord is actually good, who can make us see that his word is not a restraint or a curse. His word is a blessing and a guide. So have, have, y'all, have y'all seen any medieval TV shows? Is anyone watching The Rings of Power right now? I'm, watching, I'm like in the middle of the last episode. Or have y'all seen uh, that show, The Last Kingdom, with Uhtred of Bebenburg? Yeah, have y'all seen that? <laughs> uh, Uhtred, son of Uhtred, my wife and I um, uh, watched that show together. But it's really funny <laughs> because, like, the kings, like, isn't it funny when they find a new king? It's like they're rowdy. They're, they're ready to go. They're ready to die. They're ready to go on impossible missions. Like, we're, we're looking at Uhtred's buddies. He's got, like, four or five buddies, like Finnan and all the other people. And I'm like, turn to my wife, I'm like, they will go with Uhtred on any mission, won't they? <laughs> It's like, you know, they're going to an impossible mission to in- infiltrate the castle and face a whole army and rescue a ransom person. And all his friends are like, we will go with you to the death. You know, and I'm like, I wouldn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> or, we, or we like look at the rings of power and like when they appoint a new king, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. But they're like, you know, we got a new king, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, and they're fired up. Why is that? Because when you have a good king, you will walk through a wall for them. Because when you have a good king, everything changes. When your king is good and wields all authority, you want to lay your life down to that king no matter what. We were just talking about how good God is. Man, we have a good king. I really feel like I'm giving a campaign speech for Jesus. But, like, (laughs) Jesus is a great leader. We ought to submit and bow our knee to him. Under King Jesus' leadership, everything is different. You know what the new covenant means? The new covenant means that it's different than the old covenant where nobody could get it right. Jesus says, I've conquered all things. I've died on your behalf. I've risen again and enthroned myself as king. And guess what? I'm going to give you my secret sauce. He's like, you know how I did everything? The Holy Spirit. And now he pours it out on you without measure. It's almost like Jesus took a, I don't know how firefighters do it, but they take a big old wrench and just unscrew the fire hydrant. And you see all the water pours out on the street. And you're just like, is someone going to turn the water off? Because there's a lot of water pouring out. <laughs> That's what Jesus does with the Holy Spirit. He says, yeah, let me just unscrew this thing and just let me let it pour out on my people so that they actually have the power to obey me from the inside out. That we can actually see how good he is and how powerful he is and how loving he is. So, family, um, this, is, this is my encouragement to us. Jesus is a good king. I get, maybe maybe the, my main points are really the same every message. I don't know. We'll see for the next two messages. But I said, the good news is good, and I'm like, Jesus is a good king. But Jesus is a good, and a good in italics. Jesus is a good king. His word is sweet. Like the Bible talks about it's sweet like honey. It enlivens the soul. It mends broken bones. What I want us to do is just obey his word, to trust his word. Because if, if you're like me, it's hard to obey his word sometimes. Is anybody like me? We ought to believe that Jesus is a good king when we don't feel like obeying him, when obedience is costly, when everyone around you is doing something different, when your favorite influencer tells you that Christianity is lame, when it means being laughed by your peers that you so desperately want to approve of you, when it means forgiving and loving the unforgivable and unlovable, when it means admitting that you're wrong, when it means obeying Jesus even when you deeply don't want to. 
because Jesus is a good king and we are not good and we need his guidance. We are bad at being our own kings and queens. If when when you submit to Jesus, you will have holiness, I mean, wholeness, you will have holiness and you will have wholeness, period. No if ands or buts about it. When you submit to King Jesus, you will be whole. You will flourish like the tree that is planted by rivers of water and is, it bears fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Psalm chapter one, Psalm one tells us. You see, basically, our, the, the, the church in the New Covenant, we, the good news is we're the opposite of the judges, right? So, like, so, so some people might preach the judges and be like, aren't we just like them? And it's like, no, not really, because we're in the New Covenant and we have his Holy Spirit. Under Jesus' reign, everything is reversed from the book of Judges. There's not a downward spiral. There's an upward spiral. Under Jesus' authority, unlike the judges, the church will, re- will remain devoted to God. Jesus will make sure that false gods will be exposed and that the church will be purified and the church will be his bride. Jesus does not share his bride with anyone. God will exult over us and sing over us and be satisfied with us, even in hard times. And unlike the judges, the church will be different under Jesus' authority. We, we won't just be just like any other organization. Life with King Jesus means that he gives us the power to embody an attractive difference. You see, um, oftentimes, like difference, we can be deceived in thinking that difference is unattractive. But this is one of the many things I learned on the college campus. People need you to be different. And they won't show that they appreciate you, but there's people secretly watching you that, that, that you don't even know about. There's people cheering for you that you don't even know about. There's people pray that you will never find out that people are praying for you, that that person is inspiring. Like God of the universe, whoever you are, help them keep on following their Christian stuff because it, it is attractive. We need to have the courage to obey Jesus because people need our obedience to him. Unlike in Judges, the church will only get better and better under Jesus' authority. Jesus will mature us until we are, uh, are fully in, 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 uh, in mature um, personhood in Christ. The Bible uses that kind of language. There's every hope that the church is maturing and not falling apart. Unlike in Judges, uh, under the, the, the Jesus' authority, the church will be united. Jesus will, there, 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 won't, there, there won't be um, civil wars that cause uh, the, the church to fall apart and be ir- irrelevant. Jesus is uniting the church. Even in the midst of temporary divisions, temporary conflict, Jesus is like, I will have my church and it will be united under his lordship. And you know how we know this? Because the Bible uses language like, and every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth before Jesus, and they will confess him as Lord. Whether with our consent or without our consent, we will be united under his lordship one day when he returns. And so, family, really, really what I want to invite you to do is to um, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, um, the, the King, um, the Messiah. They're all terms for a ruler, that Jesus is our good ruler. Um, really, conversion, becoming a Christian, can be accurately described at bending the knee to King Jesus. We, we don't like to describe it in this way because it's unpopular in our culture. But, this, but bending the knee to King Jesus is conversion. The, uh, your offenses against the crown are forgiven. The favor of the king is bestowed upon you. You are granted a prestigious position within his kingdom. And you are given the weapon of love 
to fight to advance his kingdom. So, Christian, if you are here, I want to invite you to renew your trust in Jesus. He is good and he loves you and he is for you and he has your best heart, best interest in, at heart. And those of us here who, who may be visiting, you're like, you know, I'm trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. I'm still exploring. You know, th- 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 this is my campaign speech for King Jesus. You can trust him. He is good. And there's no other option for flourishing. And I want you to stick around this community and, 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 and get curious and ask people about what it actually looks like and what it, what it means to submit to his lordship and to experience his, his harmony, his peace, and his justice. Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that your authority is good. And Jesus, you aren't afraid to use it like I am. I'm so glad of that. Jesus, we, we, we are cheerleading you on. We want you to use every ounce of your authority because you are good. We want every ounce of your justice, every ounce of your harmony, every ounce of your peace, every ounce of your joy and happiness to saturate this world. Lord, I pray that we as your people, we would not go after other gods. Lord, we, we would not try and be our own kings and queens, that we would be united under your lordship. And Lord, I pray that um, those of us who, who may be exploring your lordship, Lord, I pray that, that you would, by your power of your spirit, convince them that you are gentle and lowly. Lord, and that you invite us to come and find rest and beauty and peace and submission to your good reign. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.